Hi, my name is Nick Baudois, and I'm on a quest, yes, a quest, to discover what motivates, drives, and invigorates practitioners in the field of data science. More importantly, I'd like to take the time to unpack the term data analytics and data science. We hear these terms used interchangeably in the market and seldom sit down to ask what is meant by this nascent field with historical roots in the fields of statistics, mathematics, programming, business, design thinking, data visualization, and various domain expertise. Throughout this podcast, we'll look at the core foundations, separate the important elements from the hype, including the must-haves and the like-to-haves of the data science toolkit. We will ask the movers and shakers of the data science world about their own career trajectory. How did they get to where they are now? How do they find answers and methods to problems that are new to them? And what makes them excited to continue in this field? My hope is that both the newly acquainted and mature data scientists can gain something from this podcast. By looking at diverse journeys to become a data scientist, we can uncover what is meant to have a foothold in the functional and technical world of data expertise. In essence, we'll be discovering how to translate nerd. All right, I'm sitting here with Matt Brems from General Assembly. Matt, welcome to Translating Nerd. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. Absolutely. So we are one microphone down, so if the audio seems a little bit jaded, it is uh, It is not your ears. It actually, we are running on one less leg tonight. So Matt Brems is the Global Lead Data Science Instructor at General Assembly, um, has a plethora of knowledge from the data science and advanced analytics community. I will give the floor to you to kind of explain a bit, little bit about what you do at General Assembly. Sure. So General Assembly is an organization by and large where our goal is to empower people to pursue the work that they want to do. So I, I like thinking about the types of classes that we have in a couple of different buckets. We've got uh, just one evening classes and workshops. So if somebody says, look, I want to dabble in SQL, or I want to dabble in learning Python or something like that, they can come to us for that. We also have part-time classes, which is something that you teach. And with the part-time classes, somebody wants to come in for you know eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, maybe level up with a certain skill, but they're not necessarily interested in making a drastic jump into something new. They're saying, I want to pick up a new skill to maybe move into a different role in my company. That's usually the extent of it. In terms of the full-time class, which is what I teach, these are people who are interested in making a substantial career change. So. We, in the program that I teach, it's a full-time data science immersive program. Uh, so the way I describe it is a nine to five, Monday to Friday program for 12 weeks. So people are not holding jobs during this time, they are just focusing on learning data science. And their goal by the end of it is to be able to be a, uh, a practitioner of data science. Some of them will go into maybe junior analytics roles uh, or junior data science roles. Depending on their background, some might move into more senior or managerial roles where they use this data science background to help uh, to help supplement the, the managerial side of what they're doing. They might oversee some data scientists in their role. But by and large, our goal is to be able to train people to do data science in a productive and ethical manner uh, over the course of that 12 weeks so they're ready to hit the ground running with a job when the 12 weeks is over. And what type of students do you generally get in that type of program? So the, the type of students we have is pretty diverse. So you can, uh, I'd say probably about 10% of the students that we 
have are going to be in, uh, people who come directly out of college or maybe they have like a, an internship or something like that out of college, but one out of every 10 people is gonna be straight from, uh, from a university. I'd say probably about 50% of the people in our class come to us with maybe two to four years of real world experience where they say, look, I graduated with a degree in X, I did a job and you know this might be the first job or the second job I've held. And after about three or four years, I say, you know what, I'm looking to do something a bit more technical. I want to move into data science. And so they leave their job and come to General Assembly so that they can make that shift. And then I think the, the other like 30 to 40% of people will have more experience in the real world. And they come to us from a variety of experiences. This might be part of a severance package for people. There might be somebody who says, look, I've been in this job for 15 years, but I just, I want to change. Uh, I want to do something more technical. I recognize the trend of kind of data science and data analytics, and I want to be part of that uh, that trend rather than being automated out of a job. And so I'd say that last 30 to 40% of people come from a, a more senior background. And can you walk us through the data science pipeline that you teach in the full-time course? Sure. So in terms of like the process for completing a project, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I break a data science project out for our students from day one is to, to lay it out in kind of six big steps. That first step is to define your problem. So what I mean there is that generally when you're working within the context of an organization, uh, you're not doing data science just for the sake of data science. Maybe if you get really deep into machine learning research or something, you are. But in general, you're not doing data science so that you can do data science. You're doing data science because your boss wants you or your peer wants you to be able to solve some real problem that you have. And so oftentimes your boss might come to you or someone may come to you and say, look, we need to make more money or this process keeps breaking and we need that to stop. So that first step of defining the problem is taking what is more of a, I describe it as a real world problem and convert it into a data science problem. You want something specific that you can conclusively answer within the context of data science. So that might be something where you say, this process is breaking down, I need to figure out how to fix it. That might be translated into, does this particular component have a significant effect on that? Or of the four different parts in the pipeline or the process where this could break down, which is likeliest to be that piece? And so we're taking something that is more real world and kind of translating it into data science. From there, the next step is to obtain your data. So oftentimes data is not readily available for us, and so we need to go out there and find data, whether it's gather it from uh, gather it from kind of our, our industry. We might have to access a database to pull data. We may have to scrape data, administer a survey in order to get the data that we want. Uh, there's a lot of different ways of doing that, but that second stage is to obtain the data that we can use to try and answer the problem. That third step is gonna to be to explore the data. And this is probably going to be one of the most time consuming aspects of that. So once you've got your data, now you need to explore it to make sure it's telling you what you actually think it's telling you. So when you think about, you know, you're given a data set or you've gathered a data set or something, some of those values are going to be missing. Why is it missing? How do you choose to handle that? You see that you've got ones and zeros in a column or yeses and nos in a column. What do those ones and zeros actually mean? What does a yes versus a no actually mean? Because we might take a guess as to what that means, but if we don't actually know or understand what that is, then any insights that we generate down the line when we build our sophisticated model or whatever, we're gonna run into an issue where our model isn't telling us what we think it's telling us. So exploring the data is usually going to be a really time consuming aspect. And I tell our students between obtaining the data and exploring 
exploring the data, that's usually going to take up about three quarters of your time, if not more of your time when doing data science. Once you've explored your data, you've dealt with any data cleaning issues that you think you're going to run into, the next step is to then finally build a model with that data. Most people want to jump right into building a model, but you've got all these steps that kind of lead up to it. Um, so this is going to be where your linear regression models, your neural networks, your random forest, kind of everything in between those or among those ideas, uh, that's where that will come into play. Then after that, you need some way to identify, is your model good? So the fourth step is to build your model. Your fifth step is to evaluate that model. How can we tell whether our model is good enough for what we want to do? Do we look at an accuracy score? Do we look at R squared? Do we compare it based on some historical data that we have? And then rounding that out, the last step is to finally answer the problem. It's usually not enough for us to take data, put it into a model, and say our model is good, but what does that model actually tell us? How can we get back and answer that problem that our boss or our peer or our client or some other stakeholder told us you know, early on in the process, this is the thing they need solved. So we need to make sure to kind of close that loop and take our data science answer and convert it back into something that's more tangible depending on our audience. And how do most students approach that, being able to present it to a non, say a non-technical audience like your boss who all of a sudden got very excited about something they heard regarding analytics and now everybody needs to get excited about it. Yeah, so that's one of the things that, that we try and emphasize throughout the class is trying to figure out how can you communicate things to a variety of audiences, technical and non-technical. So we encourage people to get really good at data visualization. Um, there's that adage that a picture says a thousand words. I think that, you know, although it's tried, it, it, you know, it carries a lot of weight here. If you think about trying to communicate results to a non-technical audience, it's not enough to be able to say, I got this p-value and this is what that p-value means. I've seen Tableau's stock lately. I can attest to that. Right, right. And so just being able to visualize data, we do it entirely within the context of Python because that's what we teach. Uh, so whether it's using matplotlib or trying to generate interactive visualizations using the Bokeh library, we encourage students to be able to generate visualizations, but also learn how they can create effective visualizations, not just a scatter plot because it compares two numbers, but rather we want people to be able to generate data visualizations that are free of clutter, that are clear and concise and are actually communicating the point so that you're keeping the majority of your audience or as much of your audience as you can when you so show somebody that visualization. So really, I had a full understanding of the part-time having been teaching it for a while, but uh, I never had anyone actually walk me through what the full-time 12-week curriculum looks like. And that's going to be quite an undertaking for a lot of students. How do you deal with students who throw up their hands and say, you know, this is not for me after week one, or who get disappointed because they see everybody doing kind of, they see all the newest algorithms being implemented around them, they're like, great, you know, I made a bar chart. Yeah, so it is, it's very interesting because like I mentioned earlier, people come from a really diverse set of experiences. Some people might come from a web development background or some type of coding background where they, they, they get the joke, whereas other people will come in not having coded a line of Python in their life. Granted, we assign pre-work ahead of time, so people get a little bit of exposure, but it's not the same as having real-world experience in coding or have, having practiced that before. So it's, it's something that we see relatively frequently where people say, look, 
I'm not cut out for this. And what I explain to students before the class even starts is that the biggest determinant of success in our class is not based on how much programming experience you have. It doesn't matter how sophisticated your math background is, but rather it's your grit. Because what we notice is that in an actual data science job, that's what matters. No matter how much time during your 12 weeks you spend, you could spend 168 hours a week focusing on honing your craft over 12 weeks, or we could teach you every minute of every week through the 12 weeks, and we're still not going to be able to teach you everything. What we do is we try and give you a broad base of understanding so that you can walk into roles and get kind of get the joke. You're gonna be able to understand what's going on when you're in a room. You're going to be able to understand the, uh, the types of algorithms that are out there. You're gonna be able to understand how to put many of these algorithms into practice, but there's always gonna be a new library. There's always gonna be a new language out there. We train you in Python, you might go to a company that works in R. And so what we've seen is that students are successful, not necessarily because they have three years of experience as a web developer or because they come with to us with a PhD in a technical field. Rather, it's about that grit and that willingness to run into an error in your code and say, you know what? I'm not gonna let this error get me down. I'm willing to work through and fight and debug this until it works the way that I think that it should. How do you deal with students who might feel a sense of imposter syndrome coming out of 12-week full-time boot camp and going into positions where people have been this for maybe five years before them? I know within uh, a lot of uh, kind of the consulting worlds and you know folks who are coming onto junior data science roles, they see people who they they think are you know far more or far better than they are, for yeah. lack of a better term. How do you talk to students about that? Yeah, so I think there are three things that I emphasize with respect to imposter syndrome. First is just openly and honestly, I suffer from imposter syndrome, as I think we all do. And what I try and do is relay to them how I regularly feel like I don't understand what's going on. And I provide specific examples where there are things that the other instructors can do that I can't. Or there are things that recent graduates have shown me that they've been able to do that I haven't learned about or I don't know about that. That doesn't make me any less of a data scientist, nor does it necessarily make those people better data scientists than me. But that's something that given a field, kind of moving into my second point, given a field that is just so incredibly diverse, there's all these types of things that come together. Data science, you can think of it as the confluence of of statistics and mathematics as well as computer science and there's a lot of other things associated with it that just have to deal with general technology with databases with understanding how certain things influence one another what is docker what is binder what are jupyter notebooks what a you know what's the difference between a jupyter notebook and an ipython notebook and all of this stuff where it's really easy to say i don't know all of this and therefore i'm not an expert so i tell them a openly on and honestly i feel this way a lot but b this field is so diverse everybody's going to feel this way to some right. extent. And you're always going to have conversations with people who who just sounds like they know more than you, but it's that they know different things from you. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who do know a hell of a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. And that's totally okay, and that's to be expected for people who have been in the industry for 10 or 15 or 20 years or whatever. But recognizing that that doesn't mean that what I want to contribute isn't valuable or what I have to contribute isn't valuable. The third thing that I do to sort of assuage students' um, concerns about imposter syndrome, which is super valid in our field, is that we um, is that we have students complete a portfolio through their class. So 
this is, students often come up and say, how after three months of training can I be in the same room as somebody with five years of experience like you mentioned? And so what we say is the best way to do that is to have receipts, to show them through the projects you've done and the work you've done, actually demonstrate to them what you are capable of. Toward that end, we have our students complete six projects, one of which is a project decided entirely on their own. It meets a couple of baseline requirements, but they're able to do some incredible work. And so that is something that they get to take ownership of and show off in a quarter. Can you give some examples of some fun stuff students have done? Yeah. Uh, so I was, um, one of the things that I think is really cool, there's a student from a few cohorts ago. Uh, her name is Jingfei Kai. Um, she was a student here in D.C. back in... Uh, the middle of 2017 and what she did she came to us from a background in academic publishing so she worked for a this academic journal like aggregator and so for her capstone project what she did was she went to PubMed uh, this organization that will have all of these academic journals and you can access them from there she scraped a ton of academic journal articles from that like 26 or 27,000 articles from I think it was the Journal of Cell Biology, and then researched her own. It's usually my first read when going to academic right? journals. Yeah, right. I was more in the Journal of Experimental Medicine myself, but uh, but yeah. So she she got all this stuff from the Journal of Cell Biology and built out this dynamic topic model, which would take each article, break it out into some combination of ten topics, and she looked at how those topics changed over time using dynamic topic modeling. So, for example, she found that uh, there was one topic, neuroscience, and in the 1960s, the main terms used to describe neuroscience were neuron, axon, myelin sheath, that are focusing on neurons as the basic building block of neuroscience. But if you look at the same topic in 2015, the main terms they used to describe that are things like uh, like cell function, mechanism, mitochondria, where you're looking at things much more on a cellular level rather than at this neuronal level. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in neuroscience, far from it, but it was cool for her to be able to go research this method, dynamic topic modeling, which I had never used before, implement it correctly, and then distill her results in a scientific field that I didn't know and a lot of other people didn't know to a level where we could understand how neuroscience research has changed over the last 60 or 70 years. Um, so that's that's one really cool example, I think, of what our students can do. That, that's amazing that after 12 weeks of, of consistent effort, somebody can pop out an analysis like that. Yeah, it's it's really astounding. And I, I'm always very impressed by our students and the, and the work that they're able to do. Uh, because they, you know, similar to what I said before, there's always going to be people in the room who, are, who know different things about data science than, than you do. And that's okay. And I want to encourage and try and nurture that rather than say, oh, I'm the expert in the room. And every 12 months, it's amazing to see just how we're able to, how students are able to show things that I would not have thought of. And it's, it's really inspiring. And as a, as a millennial, I kind of like that, you know, every 12 weeks I get that gratification of seeing like my job really does have a meaningful impact on people's lives. That's really interesting. So we've talked about this, you know, boot camp education, 12 weeks of intense work. If you were to go back and have, let's say, the math undergrad major of data science, and you're 18 years old, you're going out to you know, whatever university you ended up, you're Ohio State? Uh, I did my grad school at Ohio State. I went yeah. to Franklin College for okay. undergrad. So if you're going back to Franklin College, what are you going to include in your data science uh, Bachelor of Science degree? So 
I wish that I had learned Python uh, because I, I like Python a lot more now. And so that's something that, I, that I'm going to include. I want to make, uh, what I did was I studied math and econ in undergrad. And so I didn't, I didn't get as much hands-on exposure. I did a little bit of R, but it was more dabbling than, than getting really good at it. I think that being able to program in one language and program kind of rigorously in one language is a really great way to understand what can programming do, what can coding do, what sort of doors and, and windows can that unlock for you. Um, so I think that would be a huge part is just integrating that with the curriculum. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I'd want to include in the class. I think data visualization and data communication is something that we often struggle with. Uh, I mean, that was one of your questions. How do we train people to, right, right. to visualize and communicate effectively? Because I think that as people who practice in the, in the area of data science and data analytics, one of the strongest uh, barriers to doing that effectively is the ability to communicate to somebody else. So being able to, whether it's communicating in writing or communicating orally or communicating through visualizations, making sure that people are are comfortable with that and confident in doing that is, I, I think, one of the most valuable skills that a data scientist can learn. I once had somebody say uh, they were going to include elements of English literacy or uh, like a, you know, literature from the 1900s or something like that, you know, to get better at natural language processing or, or yeah. whatnot. So I'm, I'm amazed every time it's like a different answer that comes back from that type of question. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your trajectory to get into the field of data science occurred and how you got to General Assembly? Yeah. Uh, so like I mentioned, I went to Franklin College, a, a tiny school in Indiana that most people haven't heard of, uh, and I studied math, econ, and political science. I did, I did a poli-sci minor. Um, but I, I studied that, and I knew that I was interested in going to grad school. So I went to Ohio State initially to earn my PhD, and I left with a master's degree for a couple of reasons. Um, I met my partner out there. Uh, we wanted to move out to the D.C. Baltimore area. He was actually transferring to Georgetown Law, so I knew I wanted to move out here. Uh, but I was also really interested in politics. So I reached out to a couple of people who had gone to Franklin for undergrad. Uh, my professor put me in touch with them who were doing politics or political work out here. And uh, the alumnus was able to put me in touch with a few different data science organizations who did politics, which sounded really cool. I also graduated from Ohio State in 2015. So it was right when the presidential elections and all of that were ramping up for 2016. So I thought, what a what a cool and interesting opportunity to try doing something that is like, is applied, is impactful, is um, is up my you know kind of up my alley. Uh, so I, I came out here and started working for a firm called Optimus Consulting back in 2015, um, and it was an incredible opportunity. I learned a ton of stuff. I want to add the caveat that I never worked with any Facebook data, nor was I affiliated with Cambridge Analytica. Uh, that's something that that's often a follow-up question that people will uh, will <laughs> ask these days. And it has been noted for the record. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I worked for Optimus Consulting, which was really really cool. Um, and then toward the end of the the election cycle, I was, you know, I I think that I had learned a ton. It was interesting and exciting, uh, but it was also you know, I, I'm not afraid of working hard, but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of 70, 80, 90 hour weeks. I, I originally came to DC myself working in the polling industry um, yeah. on the methodology side, and it is a lot of work. Yeah. In fact, it was during the same campaign cycle, so. Yeah. So it, it was, you know, it was just a ton of stuff. And, uh, you know, you get, you get enough calls at one or two in the morning saying, hey, you've got to do this thing by 6 a.m. or by 8 a.m. And it's, uh, 
you know, again, very grateful for the opportunity. It was a, it was a way for me to learn in one year what I think a lot of other people probably took three or five years to learn. You just, you're thrown into the deep end. Um, but near the end of the cycle, somebody, uh, Joseph Nelson, who actually works for General Assembly, uh, we had crossed paths doing the political consulting work. And he said, hey, we've got an opening for a data science educator here. I know you taught in grad school. Uh, do you think you'd want to move over here and, and teach full time? So I, uh, in November 2016, I made the jump. That's awesome. Well, I won't take up any more of your time, Matt. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And uh, we're going to include information on how to get in contact with you, how to talk to you about classes. Um, and this podcast does not receive any funding from General Assembly. But if somebody were curious, I'm sure they could reach out to you. Um, about General Assembly, and then we'll put in uh, some basic information on what are your go-to blogs and resources that you go and try to find fun data science projects in. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I All appreciate right. it. Great. Thanks, Matt. Take care. And we're done.